Welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara. I'm here to welcome you into the world of orgasmic living by hosting experts to discuss orgasmic topics such as nutrition, spirituality, personal development, sexuality, and much more. Here, we will offer lifestyle lessons that can help you lead a fulfilling, joyous, and orgasmic lifestyle. I'm your guide, Venus O'Hara. Welcome to the 67th episode of the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast with Venus O'Hara. In this Aquarius New Moon episode, we'll be discussing midlife dating. We'll be speaking with Jonathan Asley, who is the number one midlife dating coach in the US. He's also the author of What the Heck is Self-Love Anyway? I also review the book, Enter Your Flow, an interactive journey toward fulfillment and happiness in your work life. The episode ends with a guided meditation with affirmations for midlife dating. But first, let me share with you my experience with midlife dating. Let's talk about midlife dating. I want to share with you my own perspectives and some experience of this. I'd never heard of the term midlife dating until I came across today's guest's YouTube channel, Jonathan Asley. He is the number one midlife dating coach in the US. And I watched a few of his videos. I was drawn to them due to a personal circumstance that I was going through. And I thought, wow, I'd never heard of this term before. And it instantly made sense to me that, of course, if you are looking for content or solutions or answers about dating and you're in your midlife, then of course it's very different from, let's say, the content that younger content creators are making or, or people who are focusing on um, an audience of 20 or 30 year olds when you're at the kind of the beginning of your emotional journey in life and you haven't got the baggage that someone in midlife would have. So that uh, immediately opened my eyes to this whole new way of perceiving dating and relationships and the challenges that come with it when you are of a more advanced age. And also when you are midlife, you have, you're more set in your ways. So, so dating can become, can become quite a bit of a, a challenge, really. I mean, for me, when I think about dating and how my dating life has evolved over the years, um, I think everything was always easier when I was younger. It was just easier to find um people to go out with or to, you know, go on dates with, to be lovers. I think I was probably more flexible in the type of profiles that I was accepting in my life. But I do, I do have a very young friend who's about 24 and she's having a lot of problems with dating and she seems to think that it's hard at her age and I'm, I, want, I want to tell her it, it's going to get better. But it, the actual reality is that my opinion is that it's actually going to get a lot worse with age. I think it's it becomes a lot more challenging. But at the end of the day, you've got to have hope and, and not, nothing is impossible. And also, I think in dating, when we hear people's stories about disastrous dates, they always blame the other person and they, they lack um, responsibility of, you know, seeing what they're bringing to the table and what well, their part in the disaster of the date. I think it, it takes two to tango, of course, and it's all about compatibility at the end of the day. But I personally don't really like um, dating as a concept. I've never used a dating app. I really, um, I, I've had many times in my life 
uh, maybe before dating apps became very popular. I was, I've used lots of online dating websites and I've been in those situations in lots of times where I've been going to a cafe or a bar to meet someone that I've met online with all these high hopes. I've been driven there or um, through loneliness maybe or the, the desire for sex, desire for intimacy. And then you meet this person and then you have more often than not a huge disappointment. I do think sometimes if you'd met the same person in different circumstances, it could be different. I think there's a lot of pressure when you are having a date with someone. There's a lot of expectations, I think, on, on both parts. And also the pressure to kind of um, perform almost and, and just look come across as a nice person, even, even if you don't like them. Um, I think there was some stat I read somewhere that you know um, if, if there's an attraction in the first seven seconds. Whereas I've had many situations in my life that I've known someone over time. I've thought nothing of them. And then one day, months or maybe years after after we first met, I suddenly start to see them in a different light and then bingo, things happen, which is my preferred way, uh, I think, of getting to know someone. Because then when that moment, that shift happens, I already trust them. So it's a nice sensation um, because going on a date with someone that you don't know, it's just like, it's terrifying for me. I, I do, I have had in the past, I've been kind of um, secretly envious of some of my friends who are using these dating apps and they show me the profiles of the guys they're going out with or the places they're going. Sometimes I walk past these beautiful bars and restaurants in Barcelona thinking, oh, I'd love to go on a date there. But it's, it's, it's much more complicated than that. And most dates are kind of uncomfortable. And I, that discomfort for me is just like, oh my God, no. But anyway, the midlife um, concept is just so interesting when you think about baggage when you get to midlife. I mean, for, for me, I am... I'm I'm child free. I'm have never been married, and that, for example, can be, um, you know, I, the ideal scenario for me was would be to meet someone who also has that situation. Um, but but more often than not, people at midlife they do have um, baggage, and even no baggage is a form of baggage at the end of the day. But to deal with someone who has, let's say, an ex-wife and and kids. Um, it's not ideal, but it's not so terrible either. I think you have to kind of assume, but uh, for me, what's more important is how they speak about their exes. Someone who is going to be very bitter, had the worst divorce, um, is someone that I would, um, I would be very wary of because sometimes they're always blaming their ex, but they, without acknowledging their, what their part in the problem was, what their, the role they played. And I find that to be a bit of a red flag when someone is really, um, critical of their ex. And also I, something that really doesn't attract me to that um, situation is um, I would never be number two or number one in their life if they've got another family and an ex-wife to deal with. Um, that's kind of like less than ideal. But in the day, you can't really, um, you know, be against that because most people do have that situation. I do think, think sometimes there is more judgment um, against people who have never had that situation. But I think um, the never married and, and child-free, childless people are definitely growing and it's, it's and it's not just the freaks i mean i don't consider myself a freak at all but i think it's um about making the choices um that you wanted to make but sometimes it's not about wanting to make choices something that i came across um i've probably shared a few times here was when i discovered the concept of attachment styles i discovered that i was um an avoidant attack i had an avoidant attachment style so that kind of really um would i would say that's part of my the trauma that I'm bringing to the table and and also I realized that maybe my life choices um, as being child free and never married might not be choices they could be consequences of 
the dynamics that I had in my childhood. And that for me was a big open eye movement, um, movement, a kind of realization. Because sometimes I think right now, where I'm at right now in my life, if I was 10 years younger, I might have taken different paths and, and tried to kind of create my own family or what have you. But um, at the time, I was definitely not ready for that. Um, I, I had to go through different um, learnings in my life, in my personal life. And sometimes I think were they that maybe those things were not available to me because I wasn't really making the right choice when it comes to the partners. I do believe that the partners we choose in our life um, are the ones who are reflecting where we are and how we see ourselves. So as you kind of improve your self-concept, so will the type of people that you're attracting. There's going to be way more compatibility there and um, and harmony because I used to be kind of like quite a dramatic person, high maintenance and I think that kind of scared me off relationships for such a long time. Yeah, so it's a, a lot of baggage, even for someone who doesn't really have baggage. There's a lot to deal with in midlife dating. And there's so many dynamics. Um, and it also, because you're more set in your ways, you're less willing to kind of um, make allowances for someone else. Um, and I think there's a bit of disillusion sometimes. But I still believe in love. I'm still a romantic and... Um, I think it's important to think, even though it could be more difficult, it's definitely not, definitely not impossible. We should not lose hope. So on that note, let's speak with today's guest who who has a lot more wisdom about this incredible, enticing topic of midlife dating. A quick message for my lovely listeners. Your support means the world to me. If you enjoy the insightful conversations and engaging content on this podcast, please consider fueling my passion by buying me a coffee. Your generous contributions help keep the podcast brewing with fresh ideas and exciting guests. Head over to my Buy Me A Coffee page, which is buymeacoffee.com slash Venus O'Hara. The link is also in the show notes. There you can join our community of coffee-loving supporters. Every sip counts towards creating more orgasmic episodes for you. Thanks a lot, eh? A lot, eh? For being part of my journey and making sure every day is a climax. Now it's time for this episode's interview. We'll be speaking with Jonathan Asley, the number one midlife dating coach in the US and author of What the Heck is Self-Love Anyway? Jonathan Asley, welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast. Thank you so much for well, taking part in this interview today. I'm very happy to have you here. For those who are well, I'm flattered to be here. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm flattered you're here too. For those who are unfamiliar with your work, could you tell us what you do? Well, I'm a dating and relationship coach for women specializing mm -hmm. in what I call midlife, which I say is after baby making years and before retirement. So most of my audience is 40, 50, 60, and even 70 year olds. I've grouped them all into that category. So what inspired you to follow this path? And how did you discover that you had a talent for it? Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, it really began through my online dating addiction. I, mm -hmm. after going through a divorce and turning 40 back in 2005-ish, um, I found myself out in the dating marketplace and using online dating as a way to meet people. And what happened was I realized that over the course of a year, I kept thinking the problem with dating was the women until I really looked in the mirror and said, oh, my gosh, I'm the common denominator. And I began chatting with women all across the country. Just I, I think it was feeding a 
a lack within myself at that moment. And hearing their stories, hearing their experiences led me to kind of like, all of a sudden I just started giving advice, you know, like how to improve your online dating profile, how to communicate men. And through this process, I began reading books and learning everything I could about relationships and how to make for a successful relationship. And then I thought, gosh, I was going through this emotional calamity in my life professionally. Why not turn this into a business? And I I, I burned the, the boats back in 2009 and I haven't looked back. Amazing. 2009, you said? Yeah. The same as me. Yes, yes it's been 15 years next year. Yeah. yeah, I was in real estate at the worst time ever. And I just thought, you know what, I'm going to become a sex <laughs> blogger. <laughs> so I, I burned the, uh, well, the books as well. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm very curious. I, I When I discovered you a few weeks ago, uh, I was being targeted with your video videos on, on YouTube. So um, <laughs> I'd never heard the term before, midlife dating advice. So how does this vary from, let's say, younger dating advice? What's the difference? Love this question. So I want you to think about this for a moment. People in their 20s and 30s, to some degree, are, are like blank sheets of paper. I mean, mm -hmm. they've only been an adult for such a short period of their life. And so that's one comparative difference is that people in their 20s and 30s are, are really just beginning to explore what this thing called life is outside of being with their parents. Okay, number one. Number two, people in their 20s and 30s are oftentimes in the dating realm looking to mate with someone so they can begin a family with that person, okay? Mm -hmm. So their primary goal is choosing a, a husband, a wife to make babies with and raise a family. So that's their primary vision, if you will. Okay, now fast forward to the 40, 50, 60s, and even 70-year-olds. Roughly, and this is anecdotal, roughly 75% of singles over 45 years old are divorced. So right now you have a complete different dynamic versus that blank sheet of paper. You have someone who's gone through a divorce, most likely. You also have widowers in that category, and you've also widowed and widowers, and you also have the never married in that category, but it still represents a small percentage until as you get older in age. Okay. Divorce comes with it a unraveling of the tapestry of a life you built with someone else, okay? Mm -hmm. And in that, oftentimes, there's emotional struggles that come with it with divorce. Uh, you can have a contentious divorce. You can have a contentious relationship with an ex-spouse, especially if you have children. Um, that's some of the things that happen. Also, in midlife, we experience what I call is... Um, well, what most people call midlife crisis, I call it when your um, blueprint of what you thought thought your life was going to be like in your 20s and 30s, you you think you're going to be the next Mark Zuckerberg or you know Elon Musk or something like that. I'm thinking for men and for women, maybe they want to be Princess Diana or something like that. I'm just so we have this vision of our life and it collides with our reality. And that's what I call midlife crisis, when where you thought your life was going to be like collides with your actual reality. And oftentimes it's not the same. So in that, there's an emotional crisis that happens. So, okay, why is this so important? Dating in midlife, oftentimes this midlife crisis, this blueprint colliding reality um, uncovers our childhood wounds and our adult traumas that affect how we operate as adults in life. More importantly, our negative patterns and our limiting beliefs. So what I mean to say is in midlife, we've got a lot of 
emotionally dysfunctional, wounded human beings mating with one another, but they're incapable of actually forming healthy relationships. So I draw attention to the importance of what I wrote in my book, What the Heck is Self-Love Anyway? The importance of personal development, self-help, and spiritual work so we can overcome the challenges of partnering with someone who is rather wounded or um, incapable of being in a relationship. Do you have this program in the, in the US called First Dates? Have you heard of it? It's in the UK. It's been mm. in a few other countries. Have you heard of this this um this program? I'm 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 not heard it specifically, but I'm sure I can kind of speculate what the um what the um what the framework is. Now you have me curious. So can you just share it with us real quick? Yeah, it's you probably find some some clips on YouTube. Well, it's basically um, different couples go for a first date in a restaurant. And there's cameras everywhere. And it's in the UK. Oh. And in the UK, they try and make good matches. Here in Spain, where I'm living, they make the worst matches. Okay. For example, I'm a vegan. They would pop, probably put me with a, a butcher, you know, just to kind of make TV. Whereas in the UK, um, I mean, you get the kind of good looking younger people having dates and they're just, you know, looking at physical um, beauty, et cetera. But then the, the older ones... They have the most interesting stories to tell because I find it interesting that some people signed up for conventional lifestyles and then suddenly, boom, the universe has a different plan for them. I, I find that really interesting, yeah. you know, because I, I find there's also a certain smugness in some married people. They think that's it. Life is sorted. But they don't realize that, you know, divorce can happen to any couple. And then you kind of yeah. have this whole rewriting of who you are as an individual, especially with females, because they are. You know, all their attention is going to the others, like the, the children, the, the the family, and they're not really focusing on themselves so much as an individual. And they have to go back to that individual in a midlife dating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, dating in midlife is, is rather a dysfunctional technology. Mm -hmm. And let me explain what I mean, because I said a kind of a powerful word, a dysfunctional technology. We oftentimes choose people based on certain superficial criteria, you know, whether how tall they are or how they physically look or whether or not they're a vegan or a meat eater. And I said that intentionally for a moment, and I'll explain why. Um, because it's not based on the person's character, it's based mm -hmm. on certain criteria of compatibility, which I understand. Now, here's the thing, I suspect, and I'm gonna use you because you brought it up, you know, if if veganism has to do with a moral value, then I understand the importance of being with someone who shares that moral value, if you will. If it's just more of a lifestyle choice, you can actually get along with a meat eater fine, provided the two of you have good communication skills, good relationship skills, high emotional maturity, um, compatibility in other areas, because we're never going to find someone perfectly aligned. So, um, I just wanted to use that as an example, because if it's a moral thing, I understand you need to be with someone who shares your values. If it's just a lifestyle thing, that's kind of different. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've just um, I ruled that out because it would be impossible. <laughs> so, so that's definitely not my part of my criteria. However, I do live alone. So I like the fact that there is just vegetables in my fridge. You know, there's no everything's alive. <laughs> yeah, so no, I understand. Pretty... Yeah, it can be quite And hard. by the way, there is an importance to choosing people that are are what we call like me, you know? Mm -hmm. And the more we find like me, like me, like me, like me, the more aligned two people are. The reality is though you're going to find differences and your capacity to navigate those differences through good conflict resolution skills is 
is really that's the primary reason why relationships fail. Most couples don't know how to resolve their conflicts, their differences, if you will. And I, I you know, I don't mean conflict in this violent sense. I just mean differences. Um, most couples are rather, most individuals, excuse me, are rather myopic, self-centric, and in their own bubble of wanting to be right versus choosing wanting to be happy. Yes, let's go to your book then. I read your book, What the Heck is Self-Love Anyway? One of the incredible privileges I have as a podcaster is that I interview authors. So I actually read books. I love reading. And then I speak to the author, which is just amazing. I've finished reading. You read my book? I did. I read it yesterday. (laughs) I read it until, I mean, I read it over the last few days. I also wanted to read um, Eight Days because you recommend that a lot, but it wasn't going to come until Sunday. So I would have had that, you know, it would have been after this, this meeting with you today. So um, I'll leave that for another, another time. But anyway, um, I wanted to read your book and I was interested in, um, so you're a dating coach, but what inspired you to actually write a book about self-love? And I want to just make one more comment. Um, I'm never going to look at condiments in the same way again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? I should read you my online dating profile because I make a reference to it in there as well. Um, So what inspired me was, um, well, I began writing a book called Compassionate Dating, Mm -hmm. Why Modern uh, Romance Needs a Makeover. And please forgive me, I'm just pulling something up that I want to read to you um, because you brought it up. So I began writing this idea of how can we date from more of a compassionate, loving place. Um, Prior to that, though, I had done all these blogs called Self-Love Means This, Self-Love Means This. I had like 30 or 40 blogs, what self-love means. Okay, put that in a box for a second. In 2000, July of 2018, I lost my 19-year-old son um, to an accident. And in that space of emotional chaos, if you will, I made a conscious choice. I can grieve with suffering or I can grieve with love. And I thought, what does it mean to grieve with love? And as I dug deeper, it's really about finding that place where you love yourself you love humanity, you love life, you, you know, you, um, you don't need someone else to love you for you to feel good about yourself. And two months after he passed, I began writing this book. Actually, someone reached out to me and said, I will ghostwrite your book for you. And that's what was the impetus for it. And within nine months, I finished it and published it in his honor. But at the same time, self-love, a lot of people confuse the word self-love. So I don't necessarily think of it as I don't think of it as self-care like manicures, pedicures, massage. I think of self-worth, self-esteem, self-reliance, self-confidence, um, and all those things that embody how to live a most fulfilled life. And so I again, this I, the trajectory of the book happened more by accident, literally and figuratively. At the same time, it really embodies my message going forward, because let me just share this. I realized that the number one emotional health issue most everybody faces, I'm not good enough, I'm not lovable, and I'm not likable. And dating triggers this like nobody's business. Mm -hmm. I mean, dating triggers all of our stuff. So while the book isn't a dating book, it's it's really a very simplistic approach to encouraging personal development, self-help, and spiritual work. Amazing. Just touched on something there about, about healing in a relationship. It makes me, I saw something from another creator on Instagram recently who's talked about all these different healing modalities like 
plant medicine, breathwork, meditation, but the biggest thing of healing is actually a relationship because you have to face all of your childhood traumas or your all of your wounds and you can't schedule them they can just blow up at any time and it's a really yeah. it's a really it's a great learning and also i think as we get older i think we are kind of more resistant to that type of um healing i think we become very set in our ways and that can be another big obstacle for um for dating later in life i think some two of my yeah actually yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I was going to say, coming back to that's a perfect illustration of when people in their 20s and 30s, that blank sheet of paper I mentioned, they get to 40s, 50s and 60s. They're rather entrenched in their belief systems, their ideologies, their their way of being. So people become rather, you know, fix, fixed. And it's so why it's so much more challenging to connect with someone if if your life is rather rigid, if you will. Mm -hmm. I have two I, I have two regrets in life. I don't think you should regret anything, but I have two regrets. I've made a video about it. Uh, one of okay. them is having smoked tobacco. That's a terrible thing. There's no, there's nothing there's okay. no way to justify that. And the second thing is not loving myself enough. I mean, I think mm. uh, when I look back at all of the situations I've been in, especially with my personal life. Now I take responsibility. You know, when I was younger, it was like blaming the, the other person and the situation. And now I realize I've come to my own realization that self-love is so, um, you know, connected with our relationships, because when you are coming from a place of self-love, you won't accept certain things. For example, maybe let's say 10 years ago with my job as a sexual wellness con uh, creator, I mean, I, I test and review sex toys. So I have a spare room with 800 toys and a lot of men can be intimidated by that. And I found that I was attracting, let's say, unavailable men um people who were in mm. polyamorous relationships i'm not polyamorous at all but people who or someone who was with with uh, married but I, I didn't know so i just found um i was attracting these people in a in a and just getting 10 percent of them or, or something like that and i just had this i had a lot of wounds as well but um what's changed in the last few years is that my my self-concept especially my self-love has grown so much that i no longer accept that and i really believe it's mm. self-love Thing. Would you would you agree that self love helps you make better decisions in the dating? Well, yeah, because yes, and um, what what again coming back to what self love is, it's really the embodiment of I don't need someone else to love me for me to feel validated, good about myself. Um, you know, from that perspective. So that's what self-love is. Now, that's not to suggest that we don't have some interdependence with another person and we form attachments to other people, but it's really the embodiment of your sovereignty, your self-worth um, in that particular case. Um, I can't help but be a coach for a second. Do you mind? Please. <laughs> so, I feel so, very fortunate. You know, I, 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 I'm just saddened when you say I have regret that I didn't find this out sooner. You know, regret is just unnecessary suffering, you know, and it's an, it's our, it's a mind game for yourself because you could turn it around and say, wow, I'm so grateful. I'm just offering a, mm. an, you know, perspective here. I'm so grateful I learned it when I did, because I will say this, Venus, there are a lot of people in their 60s and 70s wish they could be your age and learn this stuff. So just just giving you some perspective out there on regret. Um, with that said, you know, there's nothing easy about this stuff. I, I do believe life is a journey, uh, an individual journey, and how we go about it particularly from an introspective, you know, place. 
is where fulfillment lies. Um, I once I went to a workshop that talked about happiness and it drew a, a horizontal line and it drew a vertical line. And the horizontal line is I, I drive a Hyundai over here and I have a Ferrari over here. And the idea is I'm going to be happy if I have this. But most people, once they have a Ferrari, they realize it's just four wheels, maybe a faster engine. It certainly might make one feel better about themselves to everybody else in the world, but they're not necessarily happy. Even Warren Buffett, the richest, one of the richest people in the world, he drives a station wagon. So it's just four wheels. The vertical line of happiness is when we're in a state of love and most importantly, a state of learning. When we learn something new, when we learn something about ourselves, we actually form greater you know, there's more serotonin being released. There's more, you know, endorphins being released when we're actually learning something new, when we're loving and when we learn something about ourselves. So that's a vertical line of happiness. And that's just something I've learned and subscribed to in life. Let's take me to the my next question. I saw an incredible post on your Instagram a couple of weeks ago, which was about chemistry versus compatibility. I think it's easy, easy to be blinded by chemistry, especially when, as you've if you probably know yourself, most dates are really uncomfortable. I mean, even if you you find conversation easily easy, um, even some even for me, it can be very awkward to be in situations where with someone you've just met and um, you have these expectations. The first seven seconds, like, oh no. <laughs> um, so then, so when when you do find chemistry, it's like wow. Um, and, and then, but then we're not really thinking logically. So, what do you think about the difference between chemistry and compatibility and should we have both? Um, um, how how important is chemistry? Yeah, so I love this question, and I liken it to, and and I think to the extent that chemistry, both, what's the word chemistry? It's chemical. It's chemicals being released from our brain that says we like this person for the most part, or we're we're attracted to them, or we're you know that we need to bond with them. So there's that physical chemistry. There's a different type of chemistry that isn't discussed very frequently, and that's energetic connection, energetic and ener energetic connection or chemistry, where you connect with the person not from a lustful place or a limerence place, but a real spiritual place, a real knowing. And I do believe that's rare to experience. Most people experience lust or limerence type of chemistry but forging ahead with compatibility. What is compatibility? Compatibility is shared values. Compatibility is lifestyles that are blendable. Compatibility is a shared vision of what you want in relationship. And most importantly, compatibility requires emotional maturity and good relationship skills to navigate this chemistry that you have. So most people are focused on the chemistry piece and not necessarily the compatibility piece. So now we could come back to the, you know, the vegan as an example. Um, and and I, I respect that. You could say, you know what, I need someone who's more aligned with me here for a variety of different reasons. So that might be the first question you ask someone rather than going out on a date with someone who's not compatible in that sense, go out with someone who already shares that belief, that value. And then if you have chemistry, all the better. Interesting perspective. I'm going to see a vegan friend later who, who, who for her, it's much more, has much more importance than for me. Because I just kind of like, 
<laughs> it's kind of used to not having not finding that and also the vegans i find i'm not really attracted to as well so that there's that as well so you know it's interesting you just said something right there that mm -hmm. just set up a belief system uh -huh. okay most vegans aren't i'm not you know attracted to okay the fact that you even put that out sets sets the energy that you're not going to be attracted to a vegan mm -hmm. so the real the shift in perspective is you know what um you know, there are a, there, it's raining great men who I'm attracted to who are vegans. You know, by shifting that languaging, mm -hmm. you actually become become more of a magnetic attractor for what you want. Great. And this is the tricky part about attraction. So let me tell you a quick little story. I went to a workshop of uh, it's the Hoffman process, and it was 20, 20 men and 19 women. And you're not allowed to share what you do for a living until the second last day. And I shared with everyone, I'm a dating relationship coach. So this, all the women were like surrounding me at the jacuzzi. All the guys were giving me the finger. <laughs> but one woman said to me, Jonathan, when I got here, I looked around the room and there were two men I was uh, attracted to. And it was myself. And I was grateful that she put that man in that category. And there was another guy who looked like the Marlboro man, very rugged, very like a cowboy kind of looking guy. And she said, after spending a week with all these men, I would date every other man in this room because it was that initial physical attraction that she said, I'm not attracted to. When she actually got to meet all of the men at their hearts, they all became attractive to her. So this is where the, it's trickiness about attraction is can we really fall in love with the heart versus the physical aspects of a person. It's just a question I ask everybody, not a statement of fact. Yeah, it's very, it's very interesting, the whole love thing. Cause I have to, my theories about love. I read this amazing book called um, Cupid's Poisoned Arrow. It's all about mm. the neuroscientific kind of perspective on love, about the dopamine and all of that. And then there's um I, I believe that kind of in love thing is an internal process where someone is is provoking this sensation within you. But then I think there's an outward type of love which is about you want the best for that person you care for them and even if they're not with you you want them to be to be well and happy so i think it's nice to have a combination of of both of those well, things. well the tricky part with that though you know and i'm not i'm not just dispelling that but, you know people talk about love at first sight well you can be physically attracted to someone at first sight but can you really love them? I mean, would you, if you met someone you're physically attracted to and on their third date, they told you you had cancer and a month later they're in the hospital and there's vomit dripping down their face. Will you wipe the vomit off their face? You just said, I love this person, mm -hmm. but no, you love, you might love that they're attractive. You might love the way you might feel in the moment, but I really believe true love is wiping the vomit off of someone's face who's going through chemotherapy that's true love to me those are just feelings of excitement that you might experience early on and mm -hmm. i say this because if if this was all true love then everybody would be happy in a relationship and that's not the case so mm -hmm. it's just i mean i'm not discounting what the person said but i don't like the frame of love i prefer it's like there's a lust or limerence or an infatuation or attraction but i don't like to characterize that as love just for me Mm -hmm. I interviewed another, um, I think she's a psychologist, um, 
her, she's the author of Buddha's Bedroom. She's kind of bringing spirituality and relationships together. And she talked about love at first sight, just being a projection, which I really believe that because I think yeah. I just kind of, someone seems to be filling your blanks, but it's over time that you get to really discover what, you know, compatibility and seeing people vomiting and in all these different situations, that's when true love is. I think there's something very alluring and enticing about um, familiarity rather than yeah. mystery. Mm -hmm. Well, I want you to think about the word trust for a moment. Mm. What is trust? And I, I'm putting this in this category of love. Trust, we oftentimes think about it in the context of fidelity, for example. Mm. I think of trust as, does this person have my best interest at heart? Mm. Do they really, are there, do they, do, do I look at this person and say their best interests are my best interests? So, when someone says, I love you, where you barely know, it's most of the time, like you said earlier, a projection. It's mostly about how you, how this person is making you feel, but it has nothing to do with how you really feel about them. You know, that takes, trust is built through continuity. Continuity is like, like roots to a tree. The more experiences you have with someone, the more you build roots into the ground and the more roots you have, the stronger the relationship becomes. So, you know, we're, 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 many of us are hoping for some just Cupid's arrow to hit mm -hmm. us and everything's going to magically work out. But it comes back to when you're working on yourself individually and you're in a, you're in alignment with your values, you're in alignment with how, you know, relationships work. That's where eight dates and some of the other Gottman books work. When you're in alignment with your emotional maturity and your relationship skills, then your goal is to seek someone who's also in alignment with you because then you have harmony to build a really strong foundation together that's like this. Definitely. I def definitely agree with that. I'm more interested in depth than the superficial side because that can be easily replaced oh come on you're a human we're all superficial yeah, <laughs> yeah but, but depth is really something that really i find uh a lot more intriguing and i think you can maintain nre like new relationship energy for much longer if you're willing to kind of go into those depths with someone else and really discover 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 i really i, I find for me um you know familiarity is is when you start you know let's say going to the toilet with the door open might be a really bad example but when you're in a stage where you know, you can be relaxed with someone or just, and, and just, I find that really sexy when you can just um, completely relax with someone or um, when you start to well, show sides of yourself that no one sees, not the best side, but just the real side. And uh, you get to see someone's quirks. I think, I, think, I find that that's what's, that's what's made me fall in love with someone, people in the past, or even creating words that only you understand, like creating your own codes or your own language. I mean, I find that really, really, uh, interesting and deep well you know ultimately isn't that the point of a relationship isn't the mm. point to just be yourself in mm. you know warts and all you know and i don't mean to be your bad self and be accepted for it mm. i don't believe that you can be in a state of of pain and trauma and just expect someone else to just accept it accept it and call that unconditional love 
I'm talking about free to be yourself. So God forbid, you know, you left the toilet door open and, you know, it's not a crime, you know, or I left the toilet seat up and it's not a crime, so to speak, because that's just being human. You know, it's interesting about depth. I I was in a significant relationship um, that ended about five months ago. And I'm back out in the dating marketplace. And I haven't met anyone in those five months, but I've been communicating with a few people. You know, many times people just want to talk about themselves. They don't really ask about the other person. See, to me, depth is being, is asking about the other person. Mm. And when you actually ask personal questions of another person, it actually makes that other person feel desired. Mm. Like when you're actually being inquisitive, And so many cases, people will talk about themselves. So they're giving you the information, but it's different when you're asking for the information and then sharing, and then going back and asking another question based on that information and then sharing, and then doing this as a dance together. See, the real problem with dating today is most humans don't really know how to get to know someone else. They don't know how to really get to know who that person is on the inside. We're so focused mostly on the exterior and the surface questions instead of the deeper questions that really tell you who this person is. Could you give us um, an example of three deep questions for a first date that you like? All right, so, well, you brought up something. Okay, so you brought up something about me and I just want to read this because it's in my... um, It's in my dating profile. So let's just say someone read this, okay, what I'm about to share. And I said, the way I describe myself as an outwardly looking alpha male with a big teddy bear heart. It just happened to be six foot two and 205 pounds. So I'm just saying physically I'm bigger than most men, okay? I said, maybe I'd say I'm a good guy with an edge and yet I'm human with insecurities or dare I say flaws. The thing that freaks me out most is condiments. I can't stand to be near ketchup or mustard. And yet what I can do is hold your heart like a precious jewel as your lover and heart protector. So I set a volume of information right there. Depth would be, wow, that's, by the way, you know, so depth would be something like this. You know, I read in your dating profile about condiments, and I just want to say to you at first how vulnerable that was to share that, you know, (laughs) so I just want to give you props. Okay. In that, I'm really curious, what causes you to be afraid of ketchup, you know, ketchup and mustard, you know? Okay. Why is that depth? Because you're asking a question about a fear. Okay. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about the fear of like, you know, um, Um, a mugger coming up with a gun, you know, and robbing you kind of fear. I'm talking about, I was vulnerable, which represents depth. Okay. And then by asking a question about that, I'm curious, I'm fascinated. What causes you to be afraid of, you know, ketchup and mustard sort of, uh, by the way, it's all condiments, ketchup, mustard, mayonnaise, and relish. Well, at least those are the (laughs) four horsemen of the apocalypse for me. And, in that question, they're going deeper than the surface instead of what do you do for a living? Although that's a, you know, that is a question. Okay. So let's pick that one for a second. What do you do for a living? Okay. Someone shares what they do. The depth question is, 
what inspired you to do that for a living? Okay. That's depth. I, I asked you that on the fourth question, on the first question. So that's pretty good. <laughs> What's what inspired, that? I asked you what, what inspired you to follow this path. So yeah. yeah. Tick. So when you, <laughs> and so do you see it's a one question, mm -hmm. but then going deeper and asking another question, what inspired mm -hmm. you? And then acknowledging that inspirement, like so, wow, that's so fascinating. Can you tell me more about that? That's so what this is, is you're now building what's called intimacy into me. You see, mm, okay. I, I didn't make this up. I, I heard it years ago, intimacy into me. You see. So by asking these more granular questions, these more micro questions, you're getting into understanding how someone operates. And there's nothing more desirable than a person wanting to get to know how you operate. That must be interesting for you when it, when you when you do explain what you do. I mean, I have, I have this situation myself. When when you explain what you do, I mean, how do people react? Do they assume that um, you'd be the, the perfect? Because I mean, do they expect that you're going to have everything sorted as as far as relationships are concerned? Well, there's a couple things, and that's a great question. I want to bring this back to you because you said something earlier that I wanted to um, acknowledge. Um, so for a couple of people, it's fascinating to me. I could share what I do for a living on a date, and a woman won't ask me one question about that. And to me, I go, wow, you have a great opportunity to get to know how I think, and you just missed that one. Okay, so that happens. Some women are amazingly fascinated and they want to hear all about it, but it ends up turning out to be a coaching session mm -hmm. for them. Okay. And then there are some that I don't want to use the word intimidated, but you know, because I have a human behavior background, I, my, my oxygen is processing shit. Like that's my mm -hmm. oxygen. Okay. So if someone isn't capable or is uninterested in processing their stuff, I will be perceived as very exhausting to them. I wouldn't be a good match for them. So the type of woman that I'm most um, aligned with is someone who is willing to look at their stuff, willing to process it with me, willing to accept my perspective. I'm willing to hear their perspective and working together, as we said earlier, or as you mentioned earlier, that we get our greatest healing when we're in relationship. And and a significant percentage of men and women, let me just say this to all the women who are watching this, because women seem to think that they hold the, the brass ring on, uh, you know, being evolved and emotional and everything. You women are no nothing picnic either. You guys are just <laughs> as traumatized. You've got your shit, no different than men. It's just a different side of the coin, because I can tell you as a man out there, I run across just as many, you know, for lack of a better word, wounded women as there are wounded men from what I observe in coaching. So I want to bring up something you said. I have 800 toys in my room. Spare you know, not in my room. <laughs> that would be or, scary. Or, yeah, oh, excuse me. Okay, thank you for clarifying that. So um, I wasn't intimidated to hearing that. I, But I did have a reaction. And it felt as though that there might be too much emphasis on sex and pleasure in that, you know, in, you know, in that, I'm just giving you a perspective of how I reacted hearing that. And while sex and pleasure is critically important to me, it only represents a small facet of what I seek in relationships. So if, if some men might perceive that as an over 
you know, like an excessive need in one category and not enough in other categories. Just a perception I had that I wanted to offer that for you. Yeah, I think for me, it's, it's my job. So it's not like I'm using 800 toys. And um, I, I just think um, pleasure is, is very important, especially with a lot of women are not connected with their bodies. And sex can be seen as something that's just for men or they're serving the men. Whereas I think when a woman is connected with her body, that you can create this whole incredible space of intimacy. Like I, I say SEX, sacred energy exchange, which is, just, which is something mm. very, very beautiful. And, and that's, what my, that's what my mission is to raise orgasmic awareness. So so that's my job. And then obviously I'm, I'm a very normal person. who I wear a hoodie and no makeup a lot of the time. So I like people to see through my mission and my job and just to see who the real me is. Like I'm a sober vegan. I'm a quite homely, you know, I'm, I'm very kind of down to earth. I like people to see that and not be intimidated, but it has served as a very good filter though. And maybe, maybe you can empathize with that with your job as well. Cause some people can be like, wow. But I mean, I, I like well, exactly to see that me. Yeah, no, that is exactly it. You know, it's interesting. I have 800 books behind me and it's not 800 <laughs> books, but it's something close to that. So I can recognize that in the same venue, that's your profession. I think for men in particular, though, because pleasuring a woman is attached to our ego, mm -hmm. that it could be to the extent not so much intimidating, but it might create an insecurity that we won't be able to pleasure you to the same degree something else could. So I, I think, so what this invites, coming back to intimacy, coming back to depth, it invites conversation. Mm. And within that conversation, a deeper, richer conversation about, you know, mutual pleasure and the capacity to, to be able to give each other mutual pleasure in the bedroom would be explored through that conversation, I've got 800 toys in this, uh, you know, mm -hmm. spare room kind of thing. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so you talk about online dating. Um, do you, um, do you, what do you think about offline dating? Is that? Well, well, let's just think about what online dating, well, let's just come back to the word dating and the differentiation between online and um, organically meeting. So online is simply a portal to meet people, okay? Offline is a different portal to meet people. So you're not actually dating in the in the cyber sense, it's just meeting. So what is my perception of meeting people online versus organically? The challenge as we age is that we are no longer in an environment with single eligible people. So I just want you to think about when you're in grade school, you know, everybody is single and eligible. When in high school, most everybody is single and eligible until someone gets pregnant. Uh, <laughs> you know, in college is probably your greatest, you know, uh, environment for, for people that go to college that where they're single and eligible. When you turn 40, 50 and people, you're no longer surrounded by single eligible people to the same degree you are in your 20s, person, just out in your daily life. Add to that, COVID kind of put us in a bubble of being in home more than ever before. And a lot of people feel safer at home than out in the world. Okay. So where online dating really escalated or online meeting. Okay. The thing is, is you have a it's faster to meet people online, but you have to sift through a lot more people. It's mm -hmm. like opening up the telephone book and just start randomly dialing. That's what that's like, okay? Being out in the world, 
requires doing a little bit of homework. Is this person married? Are they in a relationship? You know, are what are they seeking? You know, whereas at least online, there's hopefully you hopefully you're with people who are serious and not, I mean, it's not always, um, but seriously want a life partner, whereas you don't know that in the organic sense. Now you can go to singles events. Okay. That's a way to meet people. You can do the hobbies that you like to do, but keep in mind, you do a hobby and there's 20 people in the group. You've gone through all of them. They're not, you're not interested. Well, then you're not going to meet anyone at that particular hobby, but you're still going. So then how can you curate new people through those hobbies and interests? That would be another thing to do within the scope of that hobby or interest. But once again, online is just simply a, a vehicle is a is a spoke in the wheel. Mm -hmm, definitely, I've never done online uh, dating apps actually, because I've never done them. I've done them online dating when it was websites years ago. Because I used to be working in a local radio station here in Barcelona, so I didn't want people to know like how many meters away, and I had a recognizable face around here, so I just didn't feel comfortable about it. So I found it quite challenging. Um, but then so I, when was the last time you went on a first date? Um, maybe earlier this year. Yeah. Um, just one? Just a couple. Yeah. But I mean, I've, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how did you meet the person? Um, I have created an incredible group on Meetup called Barcelona Conscious Connections. Okay. Which is a brilliant, it's a, and, and we have um, these pieces of paper on the on the table we go for vegan dinners with non-vegans and we have these questions like icebreaker questions um that really encourage deep conversation so we, we kind of ask where you're from how long you've been in barcelona what do you do so we have these other questions that like one is one of my favorites is when was the last time you did something for the first time <laughs> it's a great question and then we get some incredible conversations but everything it ultimately goes back to dating and love because that's what people really yeah. want to know about especially people who are coming on there to a meetup on saturday night you can you can be pretty sure that 90 percent of them are single you know and definitely ready to mingle and they're just looking for something a bit deeper because this this is a sober group as well so we're just okay. looking for a bit more depth and that's something that i created for my own needs and i've seen that it's yeah. just working for so many people we've got 1900 members now I mean, it's just well, then you need to just do more events because, yeah. <laughs> you know, earlier this year, that was eight months ago. Come on, do some more. <laughs> so I so, saw so one of your videos that you don't subscribe to the idea of the notion of female energy and masculine energy. Can you elaborate on that? Well, to the extent that I don't. So the way I view masculine and feminine energy and the way it's characterized in the dating realm is where I have some resistance. OK, so, for example, um, some female coaches will say when a woman is in her masculine energy, it's a turnoff. OK, for example, when she's controlling, when she's criticizing, when she's in a state of, you know, like work and everything, that that's a turnoff. Well, first off, controlling and criticism, that's just bad behavior. That's not masculine behavior, mm -hmm. because what you're really saying, the minute you say controlling criticism, you know, overly focused, you know, in your professional life, what you're saying is when a man is so what now let's use it in the male context, he's masculine, okay, and he's controlling and he's criticizing these over over focused on their career. That's not attractive either. So, so that's the first premise of what I don't like when it's characterized that way. To me, masculine simply means doing, 
And feminine simply means receiving, okay? A healthy person is both a giver and a receiver equally. It's mm -hmm. not weighted one way or the other because you'd have an imbalanced relationship if the expectation that men are supposed to be the leaders and they're the givers and they do everything and you just sit back in your feminine energy and don't do shit. That's it's you know that guy's going to lose interest with you as well. I think a healthy relationship is two people that are both giver and receivers and that's the way I characterize masculine and feminine energy. That doesn't go the way that's not the subscription that the spiritual realm and the yoga realm and everything else talks about polarity and stuff like that. That's just my version of it. But then again, masculine and feminine energy is not a science. It's mm -hmm. just the construct. So mm -hmm. it's not based on anything scientific. And here's where I have another issue. He's 60% masculine. That means she has to be 40% feminine to have the polarity properly. So fucking gauge the percentage a person in at any given time, and it fluctuates at any given time. That's where I have take ombrage or issue with that narrative. And I like to play with it and make fun of it, which Definitely. if I turned you off right now, I apologize, but that's just- No, no, opinion. I think it's interesting because, um, you know, it's, it's I find it as I'm, I, I identify as a feminist, but it's interesting the whole, I'm also very spiritual- I find it interesting this whole um, concept of divine feminine and feminism. Can you be a divine feminist? I mean, I just find it interesting for me. For me well, and, uh, you know, what I've learned is more. I've I've been embracing what people know as the divine feminine because I've been a very I've been very much in my masculine energy as a single woman living in Barcelona, a foreign country, a, a freelancer. So I've had to be very much a doer. In, in, but I've just been recently kind of going more into surrender space, and I found it really refreshing. I just love it, and <laughs> to be honest. So, so first off, I'm a feminist, by the way. Mm -hmm. For anyone watching, I'm a feminist. I believe that we should treat people, mm -hmm. and to the extent that equally, I I believe that we should equally tr we should treat people with fairness. That's the basic premise of mm -hmm. feminism. So I'm a feminist. Okay, to the extent that um, surrender, you know most men are rigid in control. You know, men need to surrender equally to the same degree at women because control makes us believe we're safe and, and true faith and, you know, true um, bliss comes when we let go of control. Mm. You know, that's where true, the thing is most people are so, the more, more you have to control things, the less happy people are because that's how they feel safe. When you can actually, uh, uh, not when I say uh, let go of control, but surrender to the unknown, surrender to a faith, sur surrender to, you know, allowing things unfold, that's where true happiness, and that's not divine feminine or divine masculine. Mm -hmm. So this is where, when we put the label on it, See, the byproduct of these labels, we whether we like it or not, masculine is still male and feminine is still female, even when we say, call it energy. And there's a construct that is, I believe, can be detrimental when we associate it that way. So let's just call bad behavior, bad behavior, good behavior, good behavior. It doesn't have to be masculine. It doesn't have to be feminine. It's just being a good human being. That's what I subscribe to. Right. <laughs> you, you mentioned in your book a few times um the untethered soul i read um the surrender experiment this summer i just love it have you read the surrender experiment 
Yeah, my surrender experiment is where is that book? That's somewhere here. You know, I have a whole, I have a lot of books here. I don't know if you can see in the back, but um, I'm a real reader as well. And surrender I, experiment, right there. I have a whole Michael shelf. Singer, great work. I have yeah. a whole shelf of my podcast guests' books, which is just so cool. I mean, it's just amazing. Have you have you interviewed Michael Singer? No, no, no. He's not. He's on the spirituality shelf, but your book is on yeah. my podcast guests um, shelf, which is actually getting a lot bigger, which is amazing. Yeah. So a couple of quick yeah. questions for you. What are you working on sure. at the moment? You know, I'm not working on anything new. Um, I, I think every day when I shoot a video, and by the way, I, if you could post the link to my YouTube channel, I'd of be course. grateful. Um, you know, I'm constantly tweaking my perceptions. So if anything, that's how I work. Like, I was thinking today about the idea of being all in. Like, what does that mean to be all in in a relationship? People get confused with words like monogamy, exclusivity, and commitment. But what does it mean to just say, you know what? This person's new to me. I'm going to go all in and get to know them without mm -hmm. the distraction of dating other people. I'm just going to go all in to get to know them first. And, and, make, and so I'm playing with what does that look like? So that's just today's conversation in my head. Two weeks from now, I'll have a different conversation in my head and I'll talk about that in my videos, even though the core context of what I talk about is centered around, you know, compatibility, personal development, you know, healthy relationships. It's the nuances that I like to play, you know, have nooks and, you know, have conversations with. Most people date today very very unintentional, very ambivalent or ambiguous, if you will, to some degree. And what dating is now, relationships now are mostly either friends with benefits, situationships are casual. Very few people are going to the depths of serious, serious to the point of even marriage, okay? A lot of people in midlife reject marriage because they've been hurt before. But what marriage says or living with someone says is I'm all in, mm. or hopefully that's what it says. Today's date relationships being casual or situationships say, I can just dip my toe. I can get my needs met, but I don't have to meet the other person's needs. And I can meet some of their needs sometimes, but you know what? The minute that person's needs become overwhelming for me, I can bow out at any time. You know, there was a real um, wisdom in dating vows. It said, you know what, through thick or thin, I'm, I'm in this to win. Through mm -hmm. thick or thin, I'm in this to win. Um, I just made that up just now. That's pretty good. Thin, I need someone, can you that write, needs can to be, write? That needs to be an Instagram post. Through, yeah, through, yeah, through thick and thin, I'm here to win. Through thick. And mm -hmm. um, okay, I'm going to forget this. <laughs> through thick or thin, I'm here to win. What that means is we're, we're here to win. We're both here in it together. And sadly, one person gets there and the other person doesn't. And it feels emotionally devastating when you've gone all in and the other person hasn't. Now, from a spiritual perspective, you were meant to learn a lesson. There was mm -hmm. a lot of healing. So, I mean, I can always you know, rationalize it as a benefit. 
But at the end of the day, it still fucking sucks. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm here to encourage deeper conversations early and really mindfulness, intentionality dating. So you don't find yourself with someone who's just in it for themselves. And most people are self-centric not intentional, they're myopic. Women are no different than men. I know all of you think you're the exclusive ones, but you're not. Most people myopically date, it's their bubble. Very few people date and like, I want you to think on a first date, do you, does a, does a man or woman really meet that other person and say, what can I give to this other person? Mm-hmm. It's like, nobody operates from a place of giving. It's mostly, what can I get? Can I get a free meal? Can I get, you know, I can get, I get company. Can I get them to like me? You know, what can I get instead of what can I give? You know, I I am, I do meditation with, with crystals. I'm really into crystals and I sleep with a rose quartz crystal and I put it on my, my chest before I go to bed and just meditate every night. And I always think about that of attracting love energetically, but there's a few times in my life where I thought of giving love and I thought it was a beautiful you know, intention to be kind of radiate love out. So yeah, I, I definitely think that's it. That's interesting about about and, and and one thing I'm going to end on this note. Even if you meet someone who's misaligned with you on a date, okay, you can just you're not attracted to them. They're unconscious. They don't have depth or whatever. What you can give them is love in that moment. And sometimes the most loving thing to do is just to hear someone for a short period of time and allow them the space to maybe they need to vomit whatever they're going to vomit, <laughs> their wounds, their traumas. And you hold, you can simply give holding space for a short period of time. That's a great way to give love, even in those spaces where you met someone and it wasn't a fit. And if you approach it that way, and I'm going to end on one more note coming back to online dating. Mm-hmm. People do this thing called swiping left and right. Mm-hmm. Most people feel swiping left means you're not interested. And I would say, I even know that. <laughs> yeah, swiping left 95% of the time and they can feel discouraged. What if every time you swipe left, you say, I wish you all the best. I wish you all the best. I wish you mm-hmm. all the best. I wish you all the best. I wish you all the best. Because what happens is most people swipe left and they go, there's no good men out there. There's no good women. There's no good men. There's no good women. There's no good men. There's no good. Just reframe it. I wish you all the best on your journey. And what you'll find is you'll find someone you'll swipe right on. Right. I'm going to end on that note. <laughs> two more very quick questions I ask everyone. What's the book that changed your life? Oh, The Untethered Soul, without a doubt. Amazing. Actually, Marianne Williamson's Return to Love is a close second. I have to read that. I've read The Untethered Soul, so I have to read Oh, that. and then The Buddha Data. That's yeah. a close third. <laughs> I do a reader then. That's great. And then Shut Up, Stop Whining and Get a Life by Larry Wingett. That's a close four. <laughs> <laughs> so I see you like reading. Um, yeah. So which phrase or affirmation or quote do you live by? Uh, create, well, this is a new one. So I just wrote this the other day. Create a life so awesome that you become the reality show people want to watch. Amazing. Amazing. And where can people <laughs> find you? Uh, well, hopefully there's a link to my YouTube channel somewhere below, but you can find me, Jonathan Asley, right there. You can Google my name. My YouTube channel is where I have most of my fun. So go follow mm-hmm. me there and then you can go to my website from there after. But, my, you know, follow me on YouTube. 
Amazing. So thank you so much for taking part in uh, today on the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast. It's been a real pleasure. Likewise, Venus. Can I send you with? Can I send you off a big, gigantic Jonathan Bear hug? <laughs> thank you. I can feel it. Yes. Oh, thanks. <laughs> the book I'm reading now is Enter Your Flow, an interactive journey toward fulfillment and happiness in your work life. This is written by five authors, or five authors and an illustrator. And I went to the book launch last June, and that's what motivated me to buy the book and actually complete all of the exercises inside it. And this is a book for someone who wants to um, find more fulfillment from their work life. And it has lots of exercises. And for me, I am very interested in personal development. I'm always hungry to learn more information. And seeing as I knew the authors, well, the one of the authors personally, I was even more motivated to read the book and give him some feedback. And the authors are Tony Anagor, Susanna Ferenci, I hope I pronounced that correctly, Paul Jeremias, John Zimmer, and illustrations by Kevin Woodson. And this um, this book is in three parts. There is frame, focus, and flow. And the first part was very enlightening for me because it helped me kind of look at my own work situation right now and see what's going right, what's going wrong. So it talks about five pillars of work. For example, passion, the job energizes me, contribution, my work matters, psychological safety, reward and recognition and promising future. And for me as a freelancer, I found these topics to be very interesting in terms of what the five pillars of your work life are. Because I think um, when you are a freelancer, you value flexibility much more than stability, although stability is still very important. But flexibility is something very beautiful. For example, now I'm recording this podcast on a Monday And for me, flexibility, the most important thing about it is being in charge of my time. I used to really hate being an employee and having to, you know, justify why I might have been half an hour late or why I'm working late or if I want to take my holidays in February. Because here in Spain, where I live, um, you have to take, you you can take your holidays any time of the year, as long as it's August. And this is when things are most expensive. And if you had to, if you wanted to go on holiday, let's say in February, you have to write a special permission letter to the HR department. That was my experience anyway. And I really didn't like that. I felt like I was being back at school and being policed almost. Um, yeah, so that, that was kind of enlightening for me. And what the area that, for the, I, that I'm thriving in, obviously, passion is huge for me. I'm very passionate about what I do. And what I love about my work as well is that it can be a Saturday night conversation starter. For example, many jobs when you ask someone what they do, it's like, oh, right. And then the conversation ends because they aren't topics that can kind of provoke a conversation, depending on who you're talking to, of course. And maybe you're not, if if that's not your world, there's nothing really relatable. Whereas I think the, the topic of sexuality and relationships is relatable to everyone. I think dating is one of the biggest, um, biggest areas of that we feel lost in actually at the moment. There's never been more single people around, which um, also feeds into the topic of the day about midlife dating. People are very intrigued about this topic. And that's that's a great thing about what I do. I'm very passionate about what I do. And also it's something that's relatable and I can share. And it, it comes to a point where I don't know when life begins and work ends. That's, that's the kind of the sad, the, the bad part of it anyway. Also contribution, of course, my work definitely, I'm making a contribution. Just the other day I was talking to someone about 
what I would have what would have become of me if I'd been around a hundred years ago. And I think about all of those advances in sexual health, the knowledge that we have, sex education and feminism, which has been very important for our evolution. I can't imagine myself really enjoying my body in the way that I do now if it if there if I'd been part of a culture that had this great mystery about not knowing where babies come from or not knowing how things worked or this constant fear of having sex and then it ending in a potentially unwanted pregnancy and I'm really um, happy and grateful that I am from an era that where I was able to choose I was able to choose my life in that sense so yeah I think um the people who have come before me who have um made sexuality a priority, sexual health, and also um, taking the personal risks that that involves. I'm incredibly grateful to all of those people that allow me to do what I do today. And also psychological safety, let's say. (laughs) Well, psychological safety as a freelancer, not much of that, to be honest. But I guess, um, as I was just mentioning, I think flexibility is something that that I value a bit more. And reward and recognition is something that I is important to me. I would love more of it. Um, so reward, we're talking money. Um, I would like to, um, I think everyone, a lot, most people would say that they would like more um, rewards for what they're doing. Because I just find now that things are getting expensive and I want to have <clears throat> a lifestyle that pays for everything I need and more and for everything I want as well with a bit left over. And recognition, that's something that's very um it's very important, um, not just for validation, but it's also an affirmation that you're doing the right thing. I think it's, um, especially if you're alone, um, working at home, uh, it's, I think it's nice to have that recognition from colleagues um, or from clients or even from the, your audience. It's, it's very encouraging to kind of let you know that there are people listening and there are people who are being, having, enjoying a positive impact from what you're doing. And you get that a lot more when you are working in a company, you might have more day-to-day contact with with your peers and your colleagues, or maybe also people who have that situation don't get the reward and recognition that they deserve. But I think it's much more likely when you have um, physical contact with the people you're working with. And for me, I see that as um, the contact I have with my with my collaborators, my clients, when I get new um, projects, and also when I receive comments, especially on my YouTube channel. It's really nice to see that someone has been um, very impa- um, positively impacted by my work. Just um, just this last weekend, I received a comment on one of my videos called Why I Hate Christmas, which I was curious why someone is watching that video now in February. But someone said, this comment section is therapeutic. And I thought, that's so nice to hear. I'm really happy that someone was able to read the comments that were generated by a video that I made and found peace in them. That's that's so cool. And there are many other examples of that, of, of comments that have been really allowing me to know that my comment, my content is making a difference. So that's, that's wonderful. And promising future. Well, it's all a big gamble when you're a freelancer, but I think it's important to um, have lots of flexibility. Again, the word flexibility in terms of um, how many... Um, how many or income streams that you have. I think that's really, really important. That's a kind of a good side of being a freelancer as well. And that, that does kind of give you that more more stability rather than having just one source of income. And uh, so it's, it's good to have multiple streams of income. Yeah, so that was an interesting uh, exercise for me to kind of see my values or my pillars and, and what's working and what isn't. And throughout this book, there are many different exercises. So you're reading along. It's, it's a very inviting book. It's kind of almost a square format with some very nice illustrations 
and um, it's uh, it's kind of quite easy to read as well. And one of the other exercises as well was talking about how you relate to colleagues. And I thought this was really interesting because that, that, I think that's one of my strong points, actually. I think that's why I've had a lot of um, clients who repeat business with me over the years. Sometimes I haven't had the numbers that they might have wanted, but I think I've been very um, professional and cheerful and a joy to work with. And I think that those qualities are very important. I remember speaking to a friend of mine who is a contractor and she was saying that she couldn't be bothered writing polite emails. But I think it's really important to um, to take that time to thank someone who's written to you and just be polite and and try and convey some cheerfulness and joy in in a short email and um, and know that you value that other person's contribution to whatever it is that they, that they are doing for you because I think that makes the difference. Um, for example, when you're in a sector for a long time, you could be dealing with someone today who's let's say doesn't have that much influence, but you never know what's going to happen in five, 10 years. And I've seen over the years that I've been in the sexual wellness um, sector that many people have, you know, gone from one company to another. And because you have a good vibe with them, they will repeat business with you in their new company and so on. So it's really good to keep those, um, keep, um, make some time just for politeness in, and just um, appreciation of other people, because you never know, because one day they can be decision makers and they could give you some business. One of the exercises that I really loved in this book was one about writing to yourself, your future self. And I'm going to read to you what I wrote. So hopefully this will inspire you. I think it's important to write down what you want in the future, what your intentions are um, and your goals. And then you can kind of make a plan to work towards them. It's not something I've been that good at, to be honest. Uh, in the past, but I'm I'm planning on getting a lot better at it this year, and hopefully that will that will ring true. So let's see how it goes. But anyway, this is a little a little letter from me to me. I'm going to read it to you, and this might be an exercise that you might want to do to to plan your future. Dear me, thank you, thank me, sorry, thank me for never giving up. My perseverance is one of my greatest assets. That said, I did need to work on my organisation skills and on my ability to think bigger. And now I am reaping the rewards of these efforts. I am doing what I set out to do. I'm helping others to live a more pleasurable life. I'm empowering women and men all over the world by helping them to enjoy the gift of pleasure and to live more fulfilling, intimate lives. I'm also encouraging people to tap into the unknown power of sexual energy and learn how it can enhance the non-sexual aspects of our lives. I do all this through my podcast, which is growing every day. I also make entertaining and informative videos on my YouTube channels. I've published a best-selling book called Orgasmic Manifestation with a Big Publisher. In addition to my podcast, YouTube channels and website, I speak on stages all over the world. I have managed to grow and scale my business thanks to some good strategic planning and outsourcing so that I concentrate on the task that only I can do, such as decision-making and content creation. I've enlisted the expertise of mentors and coaches to guide me in this process. My achievements allow me to feel fulfilled and to live the lifestyle that I deserve. I have a no-alarm lifestyle. I have supportive friends who inspire me. I travel for work and pleasure and I enjoy what I do so much that others see my light. 
I'm full of gratitude for the collaborators who have helped me because they believed in my mission and in me. I'm also immensely grateful for my community who are the foundation of my success. Through my work, healthy lifestyle and positive energy, I inspire others. I even inspire myself when I acknowledge the obstacles I have faced that have only made me stronger and more determined to reach my goals. When I think of the key words that have brought me to my goal, they are perseverance, organization, outsourcing, positivity, and gratitude. Thank me, I did it, and I did it my way, with self-love and self-belief, Venus O'Hara. Yeah, so that was inspired by Enter Your Flow. And let me just read a little bit from the blurb. In Enter Your Flow, you will embark on a journey to understand your relationship with work, be better equipped to deal with challenges, and create a happier, more fulfilling work life. With their combined years of experience in the private and public sectors, the authors share the knowledge, practical advice, and deep understanding of the professional world that they have gained from their own transformational journeys. So if you want to find some more fulfillment in your work, I would recommend Enter Your Flow, an interactive journey through toward fulfillment and happiness in your work life. And you'll find that on Amazon. Now it's time to slow things down as we prepare for this episode's guided affirmations meditation. It's probably not a good idea to listen to this while driving or operating machinery. Instead, take a break from whatever you're doing, get comfortable, take a deep breath and enjoy.
quick message for my lovely listeners. Your support means the world to me. If you enjoy the insightful conversations and engaging content on this podcast, please consider fueling my passion by buying me a coffee. Your generous contributions help keep the podcast brewing with fresh ideas and exciting guests. Head over to my Buy Me A Coffee page, which is buymeacoffee.com slash venusohara. The link is also in the show notes. There you can join our community of coffee-loving supporters. Every sip counts towards creating more orgasmic episodes for you. Thanks a lot, eh? A lot, eh? For being part of my journey and making sure every day is a climax. find out more about me and my orgasmic lifestyle, visit venusohara.org or follow me on Instagram at instagram.com slash venusohara. Make sure to search for the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening. Have an orgasmic week and make sure every day is a climax.